Well, we're talking about the joy of becoming. Imagine if we could all become. Last week we talked about imagine if we would all receive. If, imagine if we would all receive from God all that he has for us. Imagine if we would all receive his life and his forgiveness. And today we're, we imagine the next step. Imagine if after we've received from him, we can all become more like him. And I, I love the, the lines and the chorus of this, this song, the song called Change by Crazy Town. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever change. Can I change? Or am I always going to be the same? Am I always going to be the same? Do you ever ask yourself that? I do. I do, and I, I often have. Will I ever change? There's so many areas in my life where I get frustrated with myself and wonder, will I ever change? Or will I always stay the same? I wonder if a tadpole ever asks himself that question. Will I stay the same? Will I always going to be this tiny little glibbery, slimy worm with one little tail? <laughs> or if a caterpillar ever asks himself, am I always going to be this not super attractive little worm with lots of little feet crawling around the ground. Imagine it was your job to be a counselor for a tadpole or a caterpillar. And it was your job to, to cast the vision for what he or she could eventually be in the future. You'd be talking to the tadpole and saying, someday you are going to be free to hop and jump on dry land. One day you're going to hunt for flying creatures. One day, believe it or not, you're going to have four legs. And you're going to be able to sing and croak and make music. What do you think the tadpole would say? He'd look at himself. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly that's what he would say. Imagine you would counsel a caterpillar. And you would say, caterpillar, I know this is hard for you to imagine right now. But imagine one day you're going to fly and soar. Imagine one day you're going to have beautiful wings. One day you're going to get rid of all those short little legs and instead have six long ones. And someday you are going to fly all the way from Minnesota to Mexico within two weeks. He's going to say, yeah, right. Actually, a few months ago, I, I preached on change and somebody anonymously sent me this in the mail. And I just, if you're here, thank you. I love this because this is just a little illustration of what happens to a an ugly little caterpillar when he is in this cocoon and he comes out a beautiful butterfly. So thank you very much for sending me that. But imagine what a tadpole or caterpillar would, would think if you would cast that vision, if you could. Now, if you were actually talking to a caterpillar or a tadpole, there'd be other issues with you that we would provide a counselor for you for, but that's another issue. It was just an illustration. Now, imagine... I tell you this morning, you sitting here in this chair, that you can become like Jesus. What are you going to say? Are you going to say like the tadpole and the caterpillar? Yeah, right. Does it seem as ludicrous to you that you can become like Jesus as it might feel to a tadpole or caterpillar? You can become 
like Jesus. In fact, God wants you to become more and more like Jesus. Imagine if that would be true. Imagine what that would do to your life. Imagine the change that that would bring to your life. Imagine the change that that would bring to your family. Imagine the change that that would bring to your workplace or your school. Imagine the the change that that would bring in your relationships. And imagine the change that that would bring in, in your whole environment if you could actually be and become like Jesus. It almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? But it is what, what especially the New Testament tells us over and over and over, that God wants to transform us more and more into the picture of his son. Then the question, I, I, trying to come at this very objectively, is what, now why? Why should any of us, why should I become more like Jesus? We should become more like Jesus because Jesus is and was or was and is the perfect representation of who God is and his love for us. That's what Jesus was sent for, to show the world who God really is. And you know that you were created to do just that, to show the world who God is. In the very beginning, and I quote this often, and I know that. In the very beginning of Scripture, we're told that you and I were made in God's image. What is an image? An image is a, is a fair representation of the original, right? When you looked in the mirror this morning, and I'm assuming all of you did, whether you liked what you saw or not, what you saw was a fair representation of you. It was your image, your reflection. That's what you and I are created to be of God, We're supposed to reflect who God is to the world. Now imagine there is a planet out there with another life form, and they have the technology to come to Earth. And they come here knowing only one thing, and that is that the humans that inhabit this planet reflect their creator. And so they come here wanting to find out about our creator. They come to Earth wanting to observe you and me to find out all they can about our creator. So they land here somewhere in Salt Lake City, and these little green creatures with spirally antennas hop out and bounce around and observe us, trying to find out what is this God like who's created these people. So they watch us. They watch us make choices. They watch us pursue our dreams. They watch CNN, whether we like it or not. What will they find out about this God? Yeah, there's a few good things. They will see a few acts of kindness. But overall, they will walk away thinking that this God who created us is selfish, ambitious, violent, a liar. And if you saw the youths, they think he can't play football. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that 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 was not good. But he obs- they observe us wanting to find out about God, and they walk away with that. That tells me something went wrong. If God created you and me to reflect his character to the world around us, and we look at what has happened, something's gone wrong. And God knew that. And so you know what he did? He sent Jesus, said, okay, we have got to set this straight. 
And he sent Jesus, his son, who would live a perfect life and reflect him fairly to us, show us who God is. To live perfectly and to allow you and me to be restored back to the state where we can begin to reflect God accurately again through Jesus and through receiving his life into ours and starting to live the way that we were created to live. And that's when this process begins of us becoming more and more like Jesus so that we can be a fair representation to the world around us who this God is and how much he loves us. So that would mean that all of us who confess to love Jesus and follow him, we should reflect God accurately, shouldn't we? But see, something is still wrong. A guy like Gandhi said, you know, I like your Jesus. I just don't like your Christians. Which tells me there apparently is still a discrepancy between Jesus and the way he lived and the way a lot of us who profess to follow him and love him live our lives. Now, obviously, we're not perfect. Jesus was. But there is a discrepancy. There still is a problem. Now, can you imagine? Can you begin to imagine what your life and your influence would look like if you actually became more and more like Jesus? Can you imagine what this church would look like if all of us would really fully pursue Jesus and becoming more and more like him? Can you imagine what this church would look like and what this church could, could do in this valley and in this state? Can you imagine? Can we imagine together what it would be like if we would become like Jesus? And you know, Becoming more like Jesus is not just an option for those of us who confess to follow him. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 to you. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what this says is that those of us who follow Jesus, that we've been unveiled, we, we should be clearly reflecting God, and that we are being transformed into his likeness. We are. It's not like maybe you will be. You are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. With ever-increasing glory means with, it, it will be ever more evident in your life that God is present in your life and that you are being made more and more to be like Jesus. So if we are followers of Jesus, if we are disciples of Jesus, this should be happening. So to understand a little bit better what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, I want to go back to, to the first disciples of Jesus, the 12 that Jesus called. And I watched a really cool message by a guy called Rob Bell. He's a pastor in Detroit, Michigan. And if you have an opportunity to, to um, uh, near Detroit, Michigan, I'm sorry. Um, 
download some of his messages. He's an incredibly powerful speaker, and he gave a message on, on what it really meant for the disciples to follow Jesus and the cultural context, and I want to give a little bit of that to you. See, at the time when Jesus grew up and when Jesus started his ministry, at that time in Israel, the whole educational system centered around their scripture, what they called the Torah, what we have in our, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible called the Torah were the center of Jewish life and the center of Jewish education. And so at the, at the age of five years old, young Jewish children would be taken to class, what, which was called Beit Sefer. And during the next five years, they would memorize the Torah. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible, completely committed to memory. Right? At the end of those five years, at the age of 10, most of those children would then go back to their, to their parents and, and to learning their parents, uh, the father's trade and working in the fields or in the business of their parents. But the best of the best in those first five years would be chosen to the next set of education, which was called Beit Talmud. And Talmud was the rest of the scripture. So during the next five years, the best of the best would be chosen to memorize the rest of what we call the Old Testament. Genesis through Malachi would be memorized this in the next five years. At age 10 then, or age 14, sorry, the next group would then go back to learning the trade of their parents and, and learning a job or doing an, in, uh, uh, an internship or, or training for a job. But the best of the best of the best were chosen to continue their education under a rabbi who would continue to teach them in, uh, the scripture. And the best of them were allowed to then apply to become that rabbi's disciple. That was the process of choosing a disciple. See, a rabbi was the most revered, the most honored position in Jewish society. A rabbi was at the top of the food chain. And so he then had to choose out of the best of the best of the best, he got to choose his disciples. So they would apply and he would grill them and take them through intense interviews. Have they really understood my teaching? Uh, can, they, can they teach the way I teach? Do they have what it takes to become my disciple? That's what the rabbi would try and find out. Do they have what it takes? He wouldn't just try and find out, do they know what I've taught them? Do they know what I know? He would try and find out, do they have what it takes to be like me? Do they have what it takes to do what I do? And then at the end of that process, he would call them to be his disciples by saying, come, follow me. And from that point on, those disciples would devote the rest of their lives literally to become like their rabbi. They would walk so closely with him to learn every nuance of his ministry, to learn every nuance of his teaching, so that at the end of their time with their rabbi, they would become just like him. There was a saying that Rob Bell talks about in this message, a saying at the time that, that uh, wise people, religious people would use to bless 
a disciple of a rabbi, they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning in the times, you know, roads were, were dirt roads and it was a dry climate and it was dusty. What they meant is, would you walk so close to your rabbi? Would you live so close to him that when he walks, the dust of his sandals will cover you? The goal of a disciple, a follower of a rabbi, was to become just like him. It's in this context that Jesus called his disciples. Now, I told you, only the best of the best of the best who made every cut along the way were worthy to be a disciple of a rabbi. Now, Jesus apparently had, he must have gone through this process of memorizing scripture. And he was, he was chosen every, every step along the way, which isn't surprising. He was the son of God. He became a rabbi himself, and it was time to choose his disciples. What's interesting to me is he didn't go through that process of picking the best of the best of the best. He went to Lake Galilee, and he called two brothers, Peter and Andrew. What were they doing at the time? They were fishing. They were fishermen. That was their trade. You know what that means? If they worked as fishermen, somewhere along the way, they didn't make the cut in the Jewish educational system. Somewhere along the way, they weren't good enough to be a follower of a rabbi. And Jesus says, you come and follow me. Now, in the context of what I just told you, it makes perfect sense that they would drop their nets and follow him because that was the equivalent of, of the manager of the Yankees just calling him to be their starting pitcher. Did you get that analogy? <laughs> okay, good. Well, this was the, the equivalent of, of being chosen to the top of their society in a spot, in a heartbeat. See, and, and to us it doesn't make sense. Sometimes the, those Christian movies, those Jesus movies, they portray Jesus just kind of floating in. And then the, the disciples, just as, as if they were hypnotized robots, all of a sudden just mm, drop everything and follow Jesus. And it seems totally ludicrous. But you see, in this context, it makes sense. They were chosen to be the best of the best. They were chosen by a rabbi to follow him. And then he picked others like, like tax collectors who were the lowest of the lowest, who didn't make the first cut in the educational system. He chose a zealot, somebody who was in the militia, who was an outcast of society, who fought the establishment. Those are the people he chose to become his disciples, to become like him. See, to be Jesus' disciple and follower... You don't have to make any cuts. You don't have to be the best of the best. You don't have to be pre-qualified and go through a gruesome interview. For you to become like Jesus, all you need to do is accept his invitation when he says to you, and he said it to you over and over, and he said to you today, is come and follow me. There's no prerequisite. He's saying, I love you the way, just the way you are. Just come and follow me, and then let me change you. <laughs> yeah, change is necessary in all of our lives, but come and follow me. You are good enough to follow Jesus today.
You know, in our, in our values at K2, which is actually what we're preaching through in this series, the value of receiving, today the value of becoming, the way we actually word it is the joy of becoming like Jesus by following his teachings. The joy of becoming like Jesus. You know, it's not always happy-go-lucky if you follow Jesus. I was going to tell you that. It wasn't always easy for Jesus to be Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't always easy. In fact, it was often hard for the disciples to follow Jesus. But that doesn't mean there can't be joy. You know where the joy comes in? I want to read John chapter 8 for you. John, not the whole chapter, don't worry. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, this is where the joy comes in. The joy in becoming like Jesus comes in the freedom that comes from knowing him because he's truth, and knowing the truth will set you free. The challenge he gives here is the challenge is, okay, you got to hold to my teachings. If you want to be my disciple, you got to hold to my teachings. See, that was one of the things, the, the, what differentiated rabbis during those times. They would all teach the Old Testament. That was their, what they would teach. But there would be differences in how they would interpret it. And a certain rabbi's in set of interpretations was called this rabbi's yoke. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what he says is, take my teaching upon you. Take what I teach and take it on you. Hold to it. That's what it means to follow a certain teacher. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. doesn't just mean show up at K2 on Sunday morning. That does not make you a disciple of Jesus. A famous Christian musician once said, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's make you, makes you a hamburger. All right? Coming to K2 does not make you a disciple of Jesus. What makes you a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is that you and I hold on to his teachings. That's the challenge that he gives us. The promise is that if we hold to his teachings... We are his disciples. We will become like him, and we will know the truth. And the result is that you and I will be set free. And that's where the joy comes in, in being a disciple of Jesus and becoming more like him. Anybody here want to be free? Anybody here want to be free? You're ready free. Amen. So am I. I'm free. I have experienced, I just want to tell you that, I have experienced the freedom that comes from laying down my life and making my life all about following Jesus. And am I perfect? No. My wife, if she was here, she'd shout amen louder than anyone could. I am far from perfect. But I want to tell you this, I cannot begin to imagine the man that I would be today if I were not a follower of Jesus, if I were not on the journey of becoming more like him, if I were not on the journey of following Jesus, I don't even want to begin to imagine the man that I would be. 
And there's nothing that I or we here at K2 want more for any of you is than to experience the freedom that comes from being a disciple of Jesus and starting the process of following him and him allowing to transform you more and more into his likeness. So how do we hold to Jesus' teachings? If that's what makes us a disciple, how do we hold to his teachings? Well, you can't hold to anything that you don't know. <laughs> We've got to know what he teaches. And you know what? Everything Jesus teaches is confined in the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them recorded Jesus' teachings in his life. And it will take you to read the four Gospels, it will take you about one-fiftieth of, ta of reading all seven books of Harry Potter. So here's my challenge. Would you read it? Would you, would you commit to reading what Jesus actually taught? Don't just take my word for it or Dave's or Lad's or anybody else's. Take a Bible. If you don't have one, pick one up on the, on the counter. We have free Bibles for anyone that needs one. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four short books. They're exciting. They're history. They're story. And read what Jesus actually taught and said. And see if you can't agree with that. If you can't commit to that. Because you can't hold to anything unless you know it. You see, holding to something and being transformed has something to do with, with what we put into our minds. I want to read Romans 12, verse 2 to you. It's one of my favorite verses in all of, in all of the Bible. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What he says is, to be transformed, you've got to, you've got to renew your mind. Your heart drive has got to be renewed. See, our mind is, is kind of like our operating system. And I know I've used that illustration before too. Just bear with me. If wh Whatever we program our mind with determines our, our actions and our decisions. And so to, to hold for God, for, for Jesus' teachings to determine our life and our decisions and our direction, we've got to get it in here. We've got to reprogram our operating system and, and put it in here. And so we have got to know and study and put Jesus' teachings into our minds to allow it to transform our thinking so that our thinking, our mind, can transform our life and our action. So we have to fill our hard drive with God's truth so that we can know it and hold to it and live it. And then we have to protect it. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we don't have it on the screen, but I call it our spiritual antivirus program. It's our spam filter. It says, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, other thoughts will come in, thoughts that are not of Jesus, thoughts that are not of God. They will come in. We can't, we can't keep that from happening. My grandfather always said, you, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can sure keep him from building a nest. That's what this verse is talking about. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and see if it holds up to his teachings. If the thought comes in to cheat on my taxes, 
Well, that sounds good because the government's kind of cheating me out of that money. Anyway, I've earned it. Then I take it captive. Say, wait, 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 wait. Before you build a nest up there, well, Jesus said, give to the government. What's the government's gift to the church? What is the church's? Okay, this is the law. Okay, I've got to be honest here. When, when thoughts come in of, of lack of integrity, when thoughts come in of immorality, we take them captive. We look at God's teaching, at Jesus' teaching. Does it hold up to Jesus' teaching? No, it doesn't. Okay, out with it. That's what it means to hold to Jesus' teachings, to put it in there to live by it and to hold on to it even when it gets difficult. But his promise is, if we do that, we are his disciples. We will know the truth and we will be free. We will be free. Imagine your life being free. Being free. First of all, being filled with with his life, with his love with Jesus' joy, with his peace, with his patience, with his goodness, with his forgiveness, with his self-control and being free from lies, being free from guilt, being free from accusations, being free from the grip of selfishness that so often drives us. See, and that will all be possible Because if we submit to him, if we become his followers, he fills your life and mine with his Holy Spirit. And the more we cling to him, the more we fill our lives with him, the more room he takes in our lives, the more he transforms us into his image, the more you and I become like him. Can you imagine you full of Jesus, your life full of His Spirit? Can you imagine the freedom that it would bring? And can you imagine how God could and would use you? You would become who God created you to be. I know there's people here today with with all kinds of different backgrounds, different spiritual walks. Some of you are here, I know, who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you don't even want to know him yet. Maybe somebody just dragged you here this morning. But you're here for a purpose. I'm sure of that. Maybe you're here and you don't really have committed your life to Jesus yet, but you're seeking, you're interested, you're looking for truth. You're looking for freedom, maybe. And then I know there's a lot of us here who are believers, who have committed their life to Jesus. But somehow we've, we've gotten off track of really closely following him, of really closely holding to his teachings. We've made choices that we know were contrary to his will. And we're surprised or maybe not surprised that that we've distanced ourselves from him, that we don't sense his presence anymore. And then hopefully there's, there's some people here who are walking with him, who are closely holding on to him, who are covered in his dust and are in the process of becoming more and more like him. But you know what? Wherever you are on that spectrum or anywhere in between, more change is necessary. Wherever you are, more change is necessary. More of Jesus in your life 
is necessary. And I want to ask the band to come up. I want to read again a quote from the song we heard. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever change. Can I change? Or am I always going to be the same? You know, even if you're walking with Jesus and this is so frustrating to you because there's a lack of change, a lack of becoming more like Jesus, I want to encourage you. Even Paul the Apostle struggled with this. The disciples struggled with this of not seeing the growth in their life that they wanted to see, not seeing the Christ-likeness in their life that they wanted to see. But again, wherever you are on that spectrum, I want to encourage you with this, that change is possible. Change is possible in your life. Lasting change, actually eternal change, is possible in your life. If you continue to respond to Jesus' invitation to come follow me. Come follow me. You are good enough for me. Follow me. And I promise you that if we continue to respond to that, if we continue to hold to his teachings, we will know his truth. And I know that his truth will continue to set us free and to set you free. And that will change your life forever and the lives that you will touch. Can you imagine what that would be like? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you invited me to become your disciple. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that you've allowed me to experience. I thank you for the change that you've allowed me to experience. I thank you for the man that you're making me into. And Lord, I know that I have a long, long way to go. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. Pray that there would be many here this morning who would, maybe for the first time, accept your invitation to follow you. Maybe make a renewed commitment to follow you and follow you more closely. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit. Pray that you would continue to shape us and transform us more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And that you would change our lives forever. And that you would change this church forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.